Hi everyone. I'm really excited to introduce our guest speakers for this weekend, Paul and Susie Childers. Paul and Susie and their children live in Kona, Hawaii and are on the executive leadership team of YWAM with Lauren Cunningham and are the leaders of the largest YWAM base in the world right in the heart of Kailua Kona on the Big Island. They have founded and co-founded several ministries including Word by Heart, A Voice for the Voiceless, Photogenics, and they're passionate about caring for the poor and needy all around the world. Susie is originally from Germany and Paul is originally from New Zealand and both are sought after speakers on leadership, justice issues, and of course the word. At all of our campuses, would you give a warm welcome to Paul and Susie Childers. Well, thank you very much. And as I've just come from Hawaii, I want to say one big aloha. And it is wonderful to be back in Denver. You know, every time I come to Denver to speak at JFC, I kind of wonder how cold it's going to be as I step out of uh, the airport uh, and, uh, and get my ride. And i got to say, this time I was presently surprised. It was actually quite nice here. And I'm like, uh, it was nice when I left home, but it was also, uh, it's also nice to be a little cooler. And uh, so it's wonderful to be back here at JFC. It's wonderful to be back here in Denver. Now, I just want to put up a photograph of my wife and children. Unfortunately, my wife had to stay home in Kona for this weekend. You can all say, oh, because uh, she really is the better half. Um, As John said in the uh, video, the, the Roland video, she's from Germany. And every day being married to a German is a happiness. And you know how I know that? Because my wife bought me a magnet to put on our refrigerator. And it says, happiness is being married to a German. And so every morning I just feel happy. And so, so these are uh, my wife and she expresses her love and she would love to be here. But uh, for another time, she needed to be with the children and our community back in Kona at this time. But uh, our three children, Levi, Elisa, and Gabrielle Joy, they're doing well, and they also send their love and regards. Now, just as we get going here, um, I just want to share just briefly a little bit about Youth with a Mission and the University of the Nations, the campus that I lead in Kona. YWAM has three basic ministries. One's in evangelism, one's in training, and one's in mercy ministry. And the training part of YWAM is called the University of the Nations. And so I just thought I'd give a little bit of an overview of what that means, what that looks like, and um, and it'll just give you a little bit of context uh, for that. The University of the Nations is a unique and truly global training institution with 750 campuses in 160 nations. Since the university was established in 1976, more than 600,000 students have enrolled, with more than 25,000 students attending every year and courses held in 97 languages. The U of N is an interdenominational Christian university founded on biblical principles and committed to training with excellence. Students develop skills that bring positive change through every sphere of society. 
University of the Nations offers degrees in the colleges of Arts and Sports, Christian Ministries, Communication, Counseling and Healthcare, Education, Humanities and International Studies, as well as Science and Technology. U of N's modular Live Learn format encourages students to get hands-on experience in their fields of study and allows students to study in any of the 160 nations where University of the Nations training campuses exist. The University of the Nations campus in Kailua-Kona, Hawaii is the first and largest campus of the U of N. Since its establishment in 1978, more than 63,000 students have attended from 142 nations, and field assignments have been held in almost every nation on the planet. University of the Nations Live Learn model is a catalyst for transformational initiatives. The principles I gained in my U of N degree have gone with me everywhere I've been, including serving orphans in India, and today helping refugees in my hometown here in Germany. My training at the University of the Nations enabled me to bring transformation to Africa. At the U of N, my classroom was the front lines of journalism. I went to 27 countries in every region of the world. This is why University of the Nations exists, to see our students and alumni from all nations going to all nations, making a difference in the world. Global, modular, transformational. This is University of the Nations. Thank you. So that just gives you a little bit of, of context from, uh, 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 I was going to say Oahu, of the big island of Kona, uh, where we're at with the University of the Nations. Just to recap a little bit, if we can throw up the uh, overhead uh, we uh, do training. We have had in Kona over 62,000 uh, students that have trained with us since our establishment in 1978. And we also have had our student body from 142 nations. So we love the nations in, in the University of the Nations, and it's a blessing to be able to make an impact around the world. And this is really what I want to share my message about tonight. How do we make disciples of all nations? Jesus challenges us in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. And He says the following things to His disciples. I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. How much authority has Jesus been given? Let's say that with conviction. How much authority has Jesus been given? Therefore, as a result of this, go and make disciples of all the nations. How many? All. all. Uh, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always. Amen even to the end of the age. Now, when Jesus gave the disciples this command, the disciples were gathered together uh, and He was about to ascend back to heaven to sit at the place of God's right hand. And the first point that I wanna talk about this evening is the fact that Jesus has been given all authority. Let's say that one more time. All 
all authority. And how much does all mean? It means all. You know, sometimes I know in my life, my vision and my perspective of Jesus is just a little bit limited. I go to worship at our, at our YWAM base at the University of the Nations. I'm engaged. That's where I worship Jesus. We get the teaching and all the rest. But the perspective that Jesus gives is that he has all authority. Now, the context of this particular uh, command that Jesus gave to his disciples is in Matthew chapter 28, and it is very dramatic. At the beginning of Matthew chapter 28, you have Jesus lying in a tomb dead. Mary Magdalene, she's headed out to the tomb to weep uh, and to anoint Jesus's body with spices. And all of a sudden, there is a great earthquake. You know why? Because an angel of God comes down from heaven and lands right in the middle, right outside of the tomb. And he rolls aside the stone and he sits down on it. And I think he sort of dusts his hands off and goes, all in a day work. When Jesus rose from the dead, he did it with great power and great authority. So much so that the Roman soldiers standing outside the tomb, you know what they did? They trembled with fear. You know what? Have you ever trembled with fear? Uh, these are tough guys. They trembled with fear and they fell into a dead faint. And that ushered in Jesus's resurrection from the dead. And the woman saw him. They were told, go gather the disciples. Jesus wants to talk to you up in Galilee. Now, kind of a subnote is that the leaders at the time, they spread a little bit of doubt amongst the people, saying Jesus hadn't really risen from the dead. It was just a story that was made up. So when Jesus turns up at Galilee to the mountain, he tells the disciples to go to. Some of them are doubting. They're kind of standing there like, is that really Jesus? Kind of looks like him, but, but is it really him? But, but the vast majority of them worship him. And then Jesus gave them this statement. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That word authority is a very strong word. It's a very dynamic word. And it means that somebody has a domain over a certain realm. He has a right and privilege or ability over that realm or over that domain. And Jesus says, I have all exousia. This is the Greek word. Authority, where? In heaven? That's pretty broad. And where else? Right on earth. In heaven and on earth. Jesus has all authority. All authority. Let's not put Jesus in a box. Amen? Let's not just put him into our weekend box, Saturday or Sunday box. He has all authority. He is Lord of Lords and He is King of Kings and He has dominion over all. Amen. Now, the reality is 
Not everybody recognizes that domain or that the realm of Jesus' authority. And on a very personal level, I got just fully impacted by this recently uh, in a trip to Nigeria. It was around about a year ago, actually, now. And uh, it was to a part of the world that does not recognize the domain of Jesus Christ. It's actually to a part of the world where his uh, body is suffering uh, terribly. Uh, in northern Nigeria, uh, this, is, this is the location of this trip that I made. Now, we have been supporting as a ministry the rebuilding of the church in northern Nigeria. Uh, where Boko Haram, an affiliate of ISIS, you might have heard about them, uh, has been enslaving people. But not only doing that, they have been slaughtering the church and making martyrs uh, of, uh, of, of believers. And uh, we have been supporting these ones over the last uh, years. And one of the things that we've been doing is we've been rebuilding the churches. And so the leader in Nigeria said, Paul, it's wonderful what you've been doing over the years, but it's not good enough for you to raise money and send it. By the way, I want to thank uh, JFC and the people here that have contributed to the rebuilding of the church in northern Nigeria. Amen. Uh, when the body of Christ suffers, we can stand together, we can work together, and we can make a real difference. And you have made a difference all the way on the other side of the world through supporting the rebuilding of the churches. So I just want to say thank you. We've now rebuilt about 20, and, uh, and we're looking at expanding that more and more. So the leader said, Paul, it's not good enough for you just to send your money. You've actually got to come and meet the people. And I said, well, where would we go? And he said, this na he said the name of the town. He said, we'd go to Yola. And I looked at him, I said, isn't that where Boko Haram are? And he goes, oh, well, you know, they have been chased out by the military recently. And I said, like, in all of the town? Uh, are they fully gone? He goes, well, there are pockets here and there, but basically you'll be okay. I was like, um, no, I'm not really reassured. And I did not want to go on that trip. But you know what? God was calling me. <laughs> and it was, one of those, it was one of those times where I was looking for any opportunity not to go on the trip. In fact, I didn't buy a ticket until like two days before because I didn't want to say yes to going on this trip. But, but when it boiled down, the only thing that I could say is, Lord, please send somebody else. And I was like, you know, I guess I can't pray that prayer. And so my wife said, Paul, if the Lord is calling you, you have to go. I tell you what, happiness is being married to a German. <laughs> and so I said, okay, I'll go, I'll go, I'll go. Uh, when I landed there, I was teaching in one of our, our courses that we run uh, in Port Harcourt in the south. We ended up in Yola. I was in a hotel, 2 a.m. in the morning, and outside my door, I heard very strange noises. And just this rush of fear and apprehension woke me up, and I'm like, is this the time where I'm gonna lay my life down for Jesus? And my heart was pumping really fast, but then the noises kind of faded away and, and went away. I was like, whew, 
I woke up in the morning thankful that I'd survived the night. After a breakfast, I had thought we were going to stay in the town. So we all piled into a taxi. We drove across town and we drove out of town due north towards the Sambezi forest where Boko Haram had had have their last stronghold. And as we drove further and further, I was getting more and more and more apprehensive. Finally, I said, where are you guys taking me? And they said, you see right on the horizon, those three little hills over there, we're taking you to a village right at the bottom of those three little hills. And they said, on this side, it's safe. On the other side, it's dangerous. And I'm like, what do you mean? Just like around those three little hills there? They said, you'll be fine. And I wasn't sure about that. And then the guys started telling all of their close shave stories of how they had eluded their Boko Haram just a little bit further up the road. And I was sitting there like, oh, Lord Jesus. I leaned up my head against the window of the car and I got very quiet. I'm like... This is terrible. <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't want to be here, Lord. I was so afraid. I wouldn't see my children, my wife, my community again. And I had all of these emotions just kind of cascading over my heart. We finally got to the little church. And they had asked if I would speak uh, on the book of Revelation. And so um, I, I began to share. We started with prayer, which is always a good thing. And, uh, but still, I was just so afraid. I was afraid Boko Haram would come in, that they would take me, that they'd behead me, that they'd broadcast it over YouTube, and because that's in fact what they do. And I, 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 I literally had to be willing to lay down my life, but I really wasn't willing, if I'm really honest with you. Can I be honest? <laughs> if I'm really honest, I wasn't willing to, to really be in that, that position. But then as I got into the revelation of Jesus Christ, it just hit me. We got to Revelation chapter 5, and it says, Worthy is the Lamb. And you know, the revelation is a revelation of Jesus Christ. And it shows us how worthy our Lord and Savior is. And as I was beginning to teach this tiny little group of pastors and this tiny little outpost church on the very border of where it was, the boundary of where it was safe to go, the holy presence of Jesus walked into the room. And all of a sudden, I realized that Jesus was worthy of it all. We sing the song, you know, He is worthy of it all. And at that moment, I got in my heart that He was worthy of everything of my life. He is worthy. And it says in the book of Revelation, the worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive all power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. He is worthy of it all. And all of a sudden, I began to realize that Jesus is my King of kings. He has all authority. He has all domain. Even if His domain and His authority is not recognized, but He is the King of kings and He is the Lord of lords. And He has a church that He is giving His authority to, to be able to go to all nations and make 
make disciples of all peoples in every sphere and every aspect of society. Amen? Amen. I'm kind of preaching here. Uh, yeah. But it's, it, this boldness rose up in my spirit. And all of a sudden, I got to that point on, in a place where the authority of Jesus is not recognized by many, but that He is worthy of my life. And there was almost this addictive thing that hit my spirit. I'm like, you know what? I don't even need to go back to Kona. I want to go from village to village, sharing the revelation of Jesus Christ, teaching people how worthy Jesus Christ is. Amen. And we continue to work and serve um, these people. My challenge for you um, in this message is that we would allow that knowledge and that reality to sink into our hearts because it turns us around. It enables us to be focused. You know, as I was coming out of Nigeria, things were very clear in my mind. It was just crystal clear what my life was all about. You know, I was leading a campus in Kona. You know, we have 1,000, 1,200 in our community there. We've got a lot of challenges. There's all of these things that take up my mind space. But all of a sudden, I, I remembered and I understood that Jesus is worthy of it all. And as we understand that, it empowers us. It enables us to establish His kingdom through our lives. He has all authority. Second point that I want to make is Jesus then says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And then He says, therefore, or as a result of that, go and make disciples of all the nations. Now think about Peter for a moment. Peter, the former fisherman, he had a pretty good job initially as a fisherman. He was a successful fisherman most of the time, except for the night before Jesus called him to be his disciple. He had a couple of houses. He, he owned a boat. He had a pretty good job. And then when Jesus came to him, he said to him, you know, Peter, I'm going to use you not only in the fishing industry, I'm going to use you to make an impact on people. And so Peter learned how to make an impact on people. And now, though, just after a couple years, Jesus says to Peter and all the others as well, now I want you to transform and change whole nations. Wow, that's kind of a challenge, right? Well, if Jesus came and told you to transform a nation, how would you feel? A little challenged? A little overwhelmed, the Lord says, okay, I want you to go to Washington, D.C. and disciple the government in Washington, D.C. <laughs> How would you feel about that? It'd be like, I think we would take all a little bit of a deep breath and go, Lord, what are you wanting us to do? Now, think of the context of the disciples. I come from New Zealand. So if you're trying to figure out where my accent comes from, uh, New Zealand. New Zealand didn't even have any people in it 2,000 years ago. The Māori people were just starting to come. What about Germany, the place where my wife comes from? 
those guys were barbarians. Um, back when Jesus gave this, I mean, they really were. These guys were, you know, at the beginning of Braveheart, has anyone ever seen that movie? You know, and those Germans are like fighting the Romans. And I always remind my wife, those are your ancestors. And, but I tell you, pretty rough. Disciple those nations? Uh, that's a challenge. Jesus said, disciple all the nations. And the thing is, though, Peter and the disciples, they took Jesus at his word and they said, you know what? We are going to do exactly that. What does a discipled nation actually look like, however? You know, we say this, but a, a nation that is transformed by the gospel, what does it look like? I believe it looks like um, every aspect and sphere of society operating in its God-given role in that particular nation. It looks like a government protecting and serving its people. It looks like families who are healthy, holy, and enable the next generation to reach their absolute maximum potential that they have. It looks like businesses generating wealth and distributing that wealth through employment, through gainful employment. It looks like educational systems that have faith and virtue, as well as knowledge, uh, raising up the next generation into their next potential. It looks like the church always being revived and empowering the saints to do great exploits for the kingdom of God in the area that they come from. It looks like the media communicating truth. Amen? <laughs> Amen? And also communicating God's perspective on things. It looks like all of these different dynamics working together to um, blending together. It's not one over the other, but it's all working together to bring the reign of God to the earth through His people. Jesus teaches us to pray. Our Father in heaven, holy be Your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen? Now, uh, we have uh, a reality in our world today where the disciples are calling out and are, the, the nations are calling out to be discipled. I have a couple of examples. One is Papua New Guinea. Uh, the, the prime minister of the nation stood up before the General Assembly of the United Nations. And he said the following thing. Papua New Guinea is a Christian nation. Now you recognize this country has actually only come, the gospel has only been there for maybe 50 years or so. Uh, the people were cannibals, some of them, just 50 years ago. You know, when you would go there on outreach, you had to be really careful how you told people about food. You didn't want to talk about finger food because uh, it might be your fingers, right? And you definitely don't want to talk about someone giving you a cold shoulder because that would also be bad. And you definitely don't want to talk about an open face sandwich that, that should not be on the menu. So, you know, the, the context, this is the context of the nation. 
But what they did is they removed the totem pole from the parliament house, which was a symbol of all of the gods and everything that they had worshipped. And instead they established a pillar of national unity. And at the bottom of this pillar is the Bible. And on top of the Bible is the constitution of the nation. And then from there are all of the tribes and the languages, 852 of the nation that center their identity from the bedrock of the Word of God. Isn't that awesome? And the government also has put aside a room in the Parliament House so that YWAM would be able to disciple the lawmakers. Isn't that cool? And so they're calling out for discipleship. Now, um, we're going to skip the video, but we have some um, ships. And this is how we, a little bit of an illustration, how we disciple in Papua New Guinea. We can throw up a couple of these pictures of the ships. We have three ships that we have um, in the nation. This is the YWAM, uh, MV YWAM PNG. The next one is a massive ship that we were just given. Um, and it's an ice-breaking ship from the Antarctica. It's kind of ironic that we have it in Papua New Guinea, which is very hot. Um, but it's also going to be a medical ship. And we have the Pacific Link, the final one. Since the last seven years, we've been working with um, these ships in the nation. We've been able to deliver over a million medical services and healthcare service, healthcare training services to the nation, where 50% of the nation has no access to even a medical doctor. And so we disciple in this way. We also disciple in bringing education to the nation. And so with ships and with the university, we've been invited to disciple the nation. And we believe that we can make a big impact for God there. In Nigeria, we also are working to disciple the nation. There are many militants uh, in not only the Boko Haram in the north, but militants in the south. These guys are hyper-violent young people. The government came to us and said, would you help us with these young people? So we said we would. And since the time we said yes, about 10 years ago, 32,000 of these militants have laid down their weapons and have experienced uh, transformation. And so isn't that awesome? And just, yeah, that's, we, can, we can clap for that. And we've just been able to buy a 370-acre property to be able to establish a University of the Nations campus in Port Harcourt, uh, Nigeria. Finally, America. What about America? Do you think America needs discipleship? Uh, And it's amazing how God is opening the doors. I'm just headed towards Washington, D.C., where we'll be meeting with the vice president's team at the White House. We'll be at the prayer breakfast. God has given us a number of different initiatives to be able to speak, to be able to see how this, what our part to play is in helping to disciple this nation. Jesus commands us, disciple all nations. And it even includes this one. Amen? Amen. Point number three. How do we disciple? It says in this scripture that we baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That word baptism, it's baptizo. And it's not just like a dunk or a sprinkle, but it's, it's a soaking. It's like when you take a cucumber and put it in vinegar 
and you put it in the vinegar long enough that the cucumber changes consistency and it turns into what? A gherkin, right? <laughs> it it still kind of looks like a cucumber, but the very DNA has changed. And this is how Jesus tells us to disciple nations, to soak the nation in the name or in the character of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. How do we do that? We teach them. Teach, 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 teach. Teach in every aspect, every, um, every part of life so that the very fabric of a nation is changed and transformed. And that we would see the kingdom of heaven coming to earth through his people. Jesus says, all authority has been given to me. Now, Jesus is not a bully. He's not a dictator. He doesn't say, all authority has been given to me. Therefore, I'm going to force you to obey my will. No. He allows it to come out of a voluntary response to him of love of personal transformation and, and us being willing to give that over to others. Amen? Amen? And so it's all completely voluntary. Uh, and that is not to say, though, that he has any less authority. Amen? Amen? So the challenge comes down to us personally. How can we disciple nations in our lives? First of all, that we have a revelation of how great Jesus of Nazareth is. That he is not just a part of our life, but he is our King of kings and Lord of lords. Secondly, that we're willing to live that faith out in every sphere of society that we happen to be at. Whatever that might be, in education or with our family or in our business. And that we are able to share that with others. That we are changed and transformed and we're able to change and transform others. Amen? Amen? Let's make disciples of all the nations. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this great challenge that you gave to Peter and the guys 2,000 years ago. And Lord God, we know that that is the challenge that you have given to us. Father God, I pray that revelation would come into our lives, that we would have an understanding of your domain and of your realm. Lord God, that it would change us and that we would be revived and transformed in our daily lives. Lord God, that we would know the gentle, sweet touch of your Holy Spirit in our lives every day. And that it would inspire us and enable us, Lord God, to be able to go out into the world and share that, Lord God, with everybody that we come in contact with. We recognize, Lord Jesus, that you are the King of kings. You are the Lord of lords. Can we say that together? You are the King of kings. You are the Lord of lords. One more time. You are the King of kings. You are the Lord of lords. Lord Jesus, you are the president of presidents. You are the prime minister of prime ministers. You are the chancellor of chancellors. You are the Lord supreme. And we recognize your lordship. And we give our lives back to you as a fragrant offering. Use our lives, Lord Jesus, to make a difference in our world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. <coughs>